This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. And welcome back to Vancouver Consumer. I'm Sterling Fox, and in just a few moments, lawyer Scott Payne from CBM Lawyers will join us in studio to talk about all sorts of legal matters, including business law, wills and estates, employment issues, and the always controversial residential tenancy file. Nothing like a little free legal advice as we wrap up another year. But first, here are some more of this week's top consumer stories. Canada's national telecommunications regulator, the C. CRTC says the country's three national wireless carriers have agreed to offer a, quote, broad range of lower-cost, data-only plans within 90 days. The CRTC has been negotiating with the company since receiving a lot of criticism about the price of their initial proposals for data-only plans that we've reported on this show. The regulator had ordered Bell, Rogers, and TELUS to come up with data-only plans that it said would fill a void in the market. The CRTC now says the plans will range from as low as 15 bucks a month for 250 megabytes of data to 30 bucks a month for one gig. The CRTC says it will monitor the implementation and availability of plans by Bell Mobility, Rogers, and TELUS over the coming months to ensure the companies honor their commitments, and we will continue to watch this story closely. A financial services institution is forecasting an ongoing slowdown in B.C.'s housing market one day after the Canadian Real Estate Association predicted home sales will continue to dip in our province next year. Central One Credit Union, which provides services to more than 300 credit unions across Canada, says in its housing forecast that B.C. experienced, quote, a mild provincial housing recession this year. The report released Tuesday points to the federal government's mortgage stress test. Higher interest rates and various provincial policy measures read taxes for the downturn and predicts rising but subdued sales over the next three years with little movement in median home prices. Sales in BC's combined metro markets of Vancouver, Abbotsford Mission, Kelowna and Victoria are down 40% compared with the end of 2017, led by, of course, greater Vancouver markets. The report shows annual resale home transactions plunged 17% this year and median resale prices slipped 2% to around $520,000. The inescapable conclusion, gone are the days of rapid price escalation. A huge relief for many and a game changer for some. Salary comparison website Payscale released its job predictions for 2019 and found that if you want high wages next year, the tech sector is still the way to go. Individuals in skilled areas like AI, cloud computing, digital marketing, and cybersecurity are expected to be in high demand in 2019, said the lead economist at Payscale. And businesses that employ people in these areas will need to remain competitive in their compensation strategy. Even if a recession occurs, as many believe is likely, if they don't want to lose ground in this talent market, Payscale also added the on-again, off-again, maybe on-again trade war with China is injecting uncertainty into already jittery markets, which means storm clouds could be on the horizon for 2019. 
And with wagers remaining stagnant for pretty much the last year, if you're looking for a boost next year, you may need to switch your career. Among the highest demand job areas for 2019, cloud computing, artificial intelligence, big data, cybersecurity, virtual augmented reality, digital marketing, and cannabis. As for 2018, Payscale says the hottest job this year was a full-stack software developer, a person responsible for both front-end and back-end development. Well, the U.S. Federal Reserve ignored President Trump's advice and raised U.S. interest rates another quarter point this week, but our Bank of Canada appears to be losing its desire to do the same January 9th, its next opportunity to tweak interest rates here in the Great White North. The Bank of Canada has raised our rate five times since the summer of 2017 as our economy has gathered strength. But new factors, including lower gas prices around most of the country, have caused our central bank to hit the brakes. Geez, we even got to enjoy those lower gas prices here for... What, four days? Most other parts of Canada still have them, too, by the way. Overall, economic data for the fourth quarter is weaker, and bank analysts expect nothing until spring by way of interest rate increases here in Canada. So a modest reprieve for us, hardly a Christmas gift, but we'll take it. And Canadian Blood Service is in, is in need of over 30,000 blood donors this holiday season. CBS says it's predicting a low supply of platelets in the coming weeks. Now, platelets have a seven-day shelf life and help make blood clot, and they're crucial for cancer treatments, also needed for trauma victims, cardiac surgeries, and organ transplants. And as you would expect, during the holiday season, the blood people see a drop in donations. Statutory holidays in December will impact our platelet supply, but blood donors can help ensure they're available by booking and keeping their appointments by January 6th, says Canadian Blood Services, Though who, those rather who are unable to donate blood are asked to encourage others in their networks to give on their behalf. For more information, including how to know if you're even eligible to donate blood, visit the Canadian Blood Services website. It's blood.ca. And welcome back to the program this Saturday afternoon. I'm Sterling Fox. It's a pleasure to welcome Scott Payne to the program. Mr. Payne is a lawyer with C- CBM Lawyers working out of Langley. Hi, Scott. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you with us today. Now, you're in the Langley office, but CBM has other offices around BC as well, right? That's correct. Mainly in the Valley. So our main, va- main office is in Langley, but we also have one in Walnut Grove, one in Maple Ridge, and one in Alder Grove. Oh, okay. All right. Now, let's. Uh, you're, gonna, you're a, a general <laughs> practitioner. So to That's speak, right. um, but so we'll, we get to which is great because we get to tap you on a whole bunch of different areas. Go ahead. But we got to start. We got to start with a Christmas party, Scott. Uh, and and now I know that in in terms of employment law, most of your clients tend to be employers rather than employees. That's right. But I want I want to come at you from the perspective of that person who went to the Christmas party this year, perhaps last night, because <laughs> it's that. That season, and let's just say they stepped over the line a little, had a little too much of God knows what, but definitely stepped over the line, and were more than a little rowdy, perhaps a little gropey, et cetera, et cetera. And now they've come to, they're knocking on your door first thing on Monday morning, going, "Geez, um, can you help me check and see whether I've still got a job?" 
Absolutely. And I've been in that situation from both the employer and the employee side. So, of course, it's the time of year where as an employer, you want to give your employees a little time to relax sure. and let loose. But at the same time, uh, you have some substantial liabilities and responsibilities to your employees. Right. And uh, certainly from the employee perspective, I, I have had a few come in wondering whether uh, they still have a job oh, or they might yeah. be subject to discipline. And of course, they get a text or an email from their boss saying, you know, John, can we speak on Monday about an issue? Right. So in terms of, um, let's say, intoxication, um, one thing to note is that um, when you see employers disciplining or perhaps even considering terminating employees, it's usually not about the intoxication itself. It's about the behavior, behavior. That, that came, uh, you know, arising right. from the that intoxication. stepping over the line bit. Yes, yes you know, yes. so perhaps if an employee was belligerent or, or disrespectful towards other employees, that could certainly be grounds for uh, just cause dismissal, right. depending on its severity and also other factors such as has this happened before. So have you, yep. in your practice, mm-hmm. experienced situations where mm-hmm. individuals have been fired for cause based on unacceptable behavior while smashed at the Christmas bash? I haven't had it specifically at the Christmas bash, but I have had uh, one file in particular in which um, there was, uh, unfortunately, uh, sexual harassment of a few employees at, at a party. Mm-hmm, that and, happens. Uh, of course, as the employer, um, you know, first of all, you want to protect your employees. You, you actually have a duty to provide a, a work environment that is safe and sure. free from harassment. Um, and unfortunately, this employer, they, they did the right thing. Um, they had a written policy making it clear that that behavior was completely unacceptable. They conducted an investigation. They talked to witnesses, uh, the victim, as well as the alleged wrongdoer. And they determined that these allegations were true and he was terminated. Interesting. Turns out this employee uh, turned around and uh, attempted to file a wrongful dismissal suit. But that was ultimately withdrawn once we went to a settlement conference. And so, when, when you get to terminated for, for the conditions like that, for mm-hmm. really just being way over over the line at Christmas. When you get terminated, do you get severance or is that called for cause and see ya? You get paid up to the day you the, when all this happened and you're done. Right, you're, you're way ahead of me. That, that's right. So if it's for just cause, the employer does not actually have to provide any severance whatsoever. Okay. But just cause, it, it's a high bar to reach. You have to show that the employee has somehow effectively severed the relationship or done something that's so fundamentally in contrast to their um, responsibilities that the relationship with the employer cannot continue. Gotcha. Right? So if it's an issue, uh, it's, it's a high bar if it's just for one incident. Mm-hmm. Um, usually what we see is there has to have been, you know, uh, multiple incidents in the past that have been well documented by the employer, uh, perhaps progressive discipline leading to that ultimate decision to let them go. Right. Um, because if the employee disagrees with the decision, says maybe this was just a one-off incident right. or it this wasn't is, this serious, is not, this, it was I, just a party. I, I've never yeah. done this before in my right. life. Or, or denies the facts altogether. Right. What, they can sue the employee for wrongful dismissal and right. say, you know what? You've let me go, but now you owe me severance because this was not just cause. Right. Right. Okay. And, and we, that could, we do that see could that. get it pretty expensive pretty quickly, it too. It can. Though. It can. Um, you know, it, depending on how much is being sought, this could be a Supreme Court action, which can be quite costly in terms of uh, legal fees. So for the employer, it's important to, to document uh, the incidents leading to this, as well as documenting what steps you've taken to reach this decision. Because gotcha. you might have to prove it in court, okay. the, the, the logic behind that decision. The, at the Christmas party mm-hmm. th- this year, it's going to be a little different, Scott, because for the first time, we have recreational cannabis That's legal. True. It's a legal problem. Product. So, uh, in terms of employees who uh, would otherwise belly up to the bar, are maybe going to want to have a toke instead. But 
The problem is that you've got secondhand smoke issues, you've got stinky marijuana smell issues, and not everybody in the room is going to be happy with people smoking pot. So what is your advice to those clients who come to you and go, well, because you say uh, employers do have liability when they th- when they throw a party for their people. Oh, absolutely. Y- if you're going to serve booze or cannabis mm-hmm. or whatever, you by serving that product, you incur some degree of liability. So what are you saying, first of all, about cannabis and mixing that into the party flow? Right. And I, I have had quite a few employers come to me I'll with those questions. Have. And sure. they're saying, you know, effectively, is our is our, are we going to get smoked out of the office now? Mm-hmm, or are we going mm-hmm. to have to deal with employees coming in and vaping all the time? And of course, you know, at the Christmas party, this will be a particular concern. Sure. What, need, what you need to know, uh, first of all, is that um, the uh, the same laws that apply to secondhand smoke generally also apply to vaping and uh, and smoking marijuana. Mm-hmm. So if it's, um, you know, an enclosed public space or you're even, you know, within six feet or six meters, rather, of um, you know, door opening mm-hmm. or windows, uh, these are still prohibited spaces right. for, for smoking. Marijuana. But, but so Vancouver I'm, police yeah. say basically mm-hmm. wherever you can smoke tobacco, as far as they're concerned, mm-hmm. you can smoke cannabis. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah, generally speaking, that's so true. So at the party, though, I mean, you've got the the, prox- mm-hmm. the problem is it's, it's for a lot of people it's the secondhand smoke. I mean, you can sit beside somebody getting absolutely cross-eyed, mm-hmm. smashed out of their tree on some kind of liquor. And you can sit beside that person until they literally fall off their stool and nothing's going to happen to you. But if that same person is sitting there smoking pot, the secondhand smoke as the being that close to you is going to affect you. It's impossible for it not to. That's, That's the big difference. So what are you advising employers? Find a, a common uh, external area for pot smokers who who can certainly partake. We're not we're not uh, abolishing it by any means. It's a legal product, but we don't want you blowing it in other people's faces. Yes, I mean that could certainly be one solution: having a designated spot for those smokers to to partake. Um, and uh, you know, frankly, if employers want to avoid this issue altogether, they may want to have a policy that um, you know at the Christmas party or, or generally speaking in the workplace that they uh, they will have a zero tolerance policy okay. for for smoking marijuana. Okay. Because they want to protect their other employees who you, you don't want to be intoxicated or sure. impaired or even just to deal with the annoyance of the secondhand smoke. Right. And more generally, um, when employees are preparing for a Christmas party, it's very important that they have written policies that are communicated to all the employees beforehand as right. to what their expectations are, um, not only for mar- marijuana perhaps, but uh, also for alcohol consumption. And uh, it's a common misconception I hear from employers that, uh, well, we're going to host this in a bar or a restaurant or a hotel, so if anything goes wrong, it's, it's on them. Right. Not true. As an employer, you have an obligation um, to to monitor your employees' consumption, whether it be marijuana or alcohol, right. and to ensure that the conditions are, are, are safe. And you cannot escape that liability just because there is a commercial host who may be uh, partially liable as well. Which is why, mm. uh, uh, in, in terms of budgeting for the Christmas party, a lot of companies now include taxi chits yes. or hotel rooms. Yes. And One that, or the other, right? Yes, or, or both, or if both. you want to cover your bases, even though that could be expensive, but it's certainly less expensive than a lawsuit. I no can tell kidding. you that. No kidding. Um, and uh, there are a number of other things you can do, uh, practical steps to reduce your liability. Um, one is to make sure that uh, the event has a set location and a set time. And after that time passes, uh, alcohol will be cut off. You right. also want to limit um, the number of drinks that are being served. So perhaps a ticket system right. uh, is much more sensible than an open bar. 
if you're hosting it um, in your own office, which you know we generally don't recommend, but if you do, make sure that uh, you either have a professional who's actually serving the drinks or that uh, at the very least whoever is serving the drinks has the proper certification, serving it right. Make sure there's food, make sure there's non-alcoholic beverages for those who don't want to partake. And who's mm-hmm. responsible for taking the keys, Scott? On the way out, you mm-hmm. can see somebody just stumbling sideways. This person right. is headed for the parking lot, and that just ain't yes. going to happen. Who you, you Again, are you, A, responsible to see that that person does not get into their vehicle, so must you take that person's keys? Is that on say, you to take the keys? It's contextual. So it depends on the scenario, so it's hard to say a blanket yes or no. Okay. But if, if, as the employer or the manager or supervisor, you see that someone is about to enter a dangerous situation, such as drinking and driving, yeah. I would say, yes, take their keys. Do what you can. Or, you know, if, if they might be belligerent, because, of course, we're talking about someone who's impaired and may not appreciate the efforts to take their keys, well, very, you may want to call the, yes. call the police, call the authorities, let them take care of that issue. And speaking of, you know... A taxi. It's it's interesting. There's a sort of somewhat infamous case in which the employer actually provide taxi chits to uh, actually paid for the taxi, mm-hmm. but because he did not actually ensure the employee actually made it into the taxi, um, he was liable for you know the, the shenanigans that occurred later that night. Oh, because so people didn't take a oh, I don't. Actually, I'm fine. I can yeah. drive. I don't need to. So take it's a not cab. enough just shelling with the money for the taxi or the or the hotel room. You have to actually make sure that your employees are getting home safe, one one way or the other. Interesting mm-hmm. stuff. There is a lot of responsibility on the shoulders of those hosting these parties, and it's always with the best of intentions. Let's give the gang a night off. We'll have a few laughs and show a few uh, videos of uh, blood and uh, people looking weird and ugly Christmas sweaters and all that. And, but there's a lot more to it than that and, and a lot more thought that needs to go into it. Our guest in studio is Scott Payne uh, from Langley and CBM Lawyers. We're going to take a break for the news and we'll come back. Uh, residential tenancy and strata, among others. And we are back on Vancouver Consumer. I'm Sterling Fox. Scott Payne is with us. Mr. Payne is a lawyer with CBM Lawyers and works out of their Langley office. They have four in the Fraser Valley. And Scott, we we spend most of our time talking about employment law issues, but you're a general practitioner dealing with other areas. Besides employment, you deal with estate litigation. If we have a second or two, we'll get to some wills and estates question. But one of the other things that you deal with a lot is residential tenancy disputes. Now, I want to take the conversation we had about cannabis at the Christmas party and move it into this half hour and, and, and apply it in a completely different context. You're a strata owner. That's and, correct. And you've dropped $750,000 on the apartment of your dreams. This is it. Somebody moves in next door and they're pot smokers and it seeps through the walls and it stinks and you're really unhappy. What rights do you have? Well, that's a good question, and, and certainly, you know, communal living that's uh, as part of the uh, the strata lifestyle can be jarring to some when they're used to having their own home. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, they're living with their neighbors, and you have to you get along and uh, and deal with the strata council as well. So, with that uh, question in particular, um, uh, it takes a, first of all a, a careful review of the bylaws, the strata bylaws. Now, the standard bylaws uh, include a clause uh, relating to nuisance. 
that prevents the emission of any any nuisance, you know, for sound, smell, sights that might irritate your neighbors. Okay. So if it's a matter of... And that's of, a pretty standard clause in most it, uh, strata contracts. It's the standard. Okay. So if, there, if the strata has filed no new bylaws, it's in there as the standard bylaws okay. under the Strata Property Act. And of course, most people either retain it or strengthen it because there's, you know, it's, it's a good bylaw to have. Yeah. So if, uh, if your neighbors are uh, allowing the emission of, of the smoke or, or, or this odor to the point where it's irritating the neighbors... Um, this means that uh, those uh, those owners who are, are smoking the pot um, could be fined under the strata bylaws, uh, ah. first of all. Um, and uh, it can be a, a fairly hefty fine of, of, you know, a maximum of $200 every seven days if they uh, refuse to um, remedy that, the nuisance. Okay. On, on top of that, um, if the strata council wants to uh, go beyond that and actually... Um, prevent the smoking of marijuana in the units. It comes down to, again, how well are your bylaws drafted? Um, well, some the, buildings mm-hmm. are, are smoke-free, period. Absolutely. There's no tobacco, no nic- no nothing. Yes. It's a smoke-free environment, full stop. Absolutely. And it comes down to drafting the bylaws well to include, of course, because we're seeing new forms of consumption. I mean, there's not only traditional smoking for, for joints, there's also vaping now. Sure. Right. So what I would recommend for strata councils is, uh, you know, talk to your lawyer and make sure, get a general review of your bylaws, but considering having a very well-worded watertight bylaw that prohibits the smoking of marijuana um, through either through, you know, regular joints or, or vapes or any similar, similar item, uh, any similar... Uh, devices um, within the strata unit or on the common property. Right, just as mm-hmm. you've had in the past, uh, quite recent past, to advise employers on what to do and what not to do with respect to cannabis at the office Christmas exactly. party, I'm sure that you're receiving an equal number of calls from your strata council clients going, okay, you want to have a look at our bylaws and see if they need a tune-up? Absolutely. And you know, the, the, and the, the common theme here is that just because marijuana, recreational marijuana is now legal, it doesn't mean that nuisance is legal. Right. And in the workplace, it doesn't mean that impairment is legal. Um, so there are ways that proactive measures both stratas and employers can take um, to, uh, to make sure they're anticipating the problems and they have procedures to deal with it. And uh, usually the best solution, you know, if it's a strata council, make sure you have strong bylaws that anticipate the problem. If you're an employer, make sure you have written policies that, uh, you know, you might want to prohibit marijuana use altogether. Sure. And, of course, that's subject to human rights concerns because medical marijuana, of course, uh, if there's a physical disability, the employer has a duty to accommodate that. And stratas also have a duty to accommodate that use. Right. Um, But it's, it's a matter of, you know, approaching the problem thoughtfully, addressing it in writing, so you're prepared when these problems do arise. Do people attempt usually at least to deal with each other as neighbors to try and resolve this in a friendly fashion? Or do people, I mean, if you've dropped three quarters of a million bucks on an apartment and some bozo next door has decided to to become a cannabis nut and all of a sudden your place stinks, you're a little ticked, Scott. You're more than a little ticked. And maybe you don't want to have a friendly chat with the guy. Maybe you're just so mad, you're going to, I'm going to I'm going to do something about this. So what do you do? You go to the strata council, is that where you go first? Yes, and and certainly uh, sometimes it comes down to personality. Um, whether or not you're that type of personality, would you like to try to deal with uh, your neighbors directly? But generally speaking, I, I, I recommend um, make a complaint uh, in, in writing to the strata council right. or the strata manager. So you have a record of it, first of all. You want to create this paper trail. And then the strata council then has a duty to respond to the complaint, 
either make an investigation um, and, and if they, they, have no, they have no choice. If you complain, they are required just as the city. If you complain about something, the city has to respond with a police officer or a bylaw officer. The strata council has to follow up every complaint. Well, they, they at least need to take it seriously and see if it's a credible complaint. I mean, they may ask for it to be substantiated somehow, but they should be taking it seriously and investigating it. And if they see it as warranted, they may find the the owner of the uh, no offending unit. Okay. Um, so I would definitely say put it in the hands of strata council. That's their job. Either volunteers, but of course they have a job, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, they absolutely have the authority to uh, to fine or otherwise uh, penalize the the owner who's causing a nuisance. And, and how many of these cases that uh, fail to be? Uh, um, resolved by the Strata Council. How many cases end up on your desk and ultimately in court? Well, it is is an issue. And what we're seeing is, and as I mentioned earlier, Strata Councils are composed of volunteers. They're not professionals. These are people with busy jobs who are volunteering their time to help out. And You've served on a Strata Council too, haven't you? I was. I was the vice president of one in Coquitlam. Okay, so you know what you're talking about here. Yeah, there's there's a long list of complaints and unhappy people all the time to deal with, and that's just part of the job, and that's okay. Right. Um, But what we do see is is some Strata Councils can be somewhat lax, slow to respond, and uh, sometimes they even ignore the owners who are making complaints. Right. Now, something people should know is that uh, we have something called a civil resolution tribunal. This in, is in new DC. too, isn't it's it? It's fairly new. Yeah. And uh, what it is, it's an attempt to make the process of resolving strata disputes uh, much cheaper and faster. So right. the CRT, civil resolution tribunal, most of the, uh, the work is online. It's done through email. So it's quite accessible to people. And the courts are we seeing are, are remanding um, lawsuits down to the CRT. Oh, so really? we're trying to make it effectively one-stop oh, shopping so for most So in some cases, somebody disputes. wants to go to court and raise hell, mm-hmm. and the court says, no, no, we have another method. Why don't yes. you try this first? Yes. Uh, now, it's not necessarily the, uh, the venue of first instance. I would say if you're having an issue, you know, try to deal with your strata Locally. council. Yes, right. I mean, that's what they're there for. And uh, if you're still having an issue, you can ask for a hearing to make your, uh, your thoughts known to the strata council more directly. And if they fail to do that, that's where you might want to start thinking about commencing a, a complaint under the CRT. Okay. And uh, they, they sort of have a broad, flexible discretion to deal with uh, issues and to make orders that are sort of like injunctions. So they can act. The they CRT, have the power of a court, essentially? Well, it, it's limited, but um, they don't have what's called the inherent jurisdiction of a court to make whatever uh, the Supreme Court to make whatever, whatever order is necessary. But if you look at the CRT Act, um, it, it, there's a provision that allows them to make um, certain injunction-like orders. Okay. So um, that means that, and this, we're seeing new case law on this. This is an evolving area of law. But it means they can make flexible solutions and, uh, and, and resolutions for strata councils to follow. Okay. Uh, so it's, uh, uh, I would say that, uh, you know, definitely talk to your lawyer about possibly um, assisting with the CRT process. Okay. Now, what are the typical areas of most contention in that strata environment? I know a lot of people, and you've been on the strata council as, as a, a volunteer member yourself, but I, I've heard a lot of people who live in strata environments complain about clicks within the within the environment and the strata council click has its sort of close coterie of followers and then there's everybody else uh is is that a bone of contention in some areas absolutely i think one of the major complaints i tend to see is uh 
people who are owners who feel they have a valid grievance. They've attempted to bring this to the attention of Strata Council, and Strata Council has, for whatever reason, ignored them or haven't made the proper efforts to investigate the issue. And um, so it's, it's, it's best to, you know, maintain a positive relationship with the Strata Council and go through them first of all. But um, under the Strata Property Act, there are uh, avenues you can follow if the Strata Council is not doing its job. Under its, their Section 164, if their Strata Council or the Strata Corporation has taken actions that are unfair to uh, a particular owner, um, they can uh, pursue a claim in Supreme Court. Oh, is that right? And there's so a similar even, equivalent to in the CRT. So if you mm-hmm. disagree with a ruling by your strata council, which mm-hmm. may be against you, it's not the end of the line. You just have to suck it up and, and, and uh, deal with it. You can actually take them to court. That's true. You could. And, uh, but then and, things and, get pretty expensive pretty fast, don't well, they? Well, the good news is, um, even though if you look at the Strata Property Act, it says that the avenue you have to follow for that, uh, that remedy for unfair actions is through the Supreme Court. The CRT is making uh, very similar orders and following the same case law that is produced out of the Supreme Court. Okay. So from, from my view of the case law, it looks as though the CRT is making itself available effectively for those sorts of remedies. So I think and it's, it's a re- much cheaper process. Well, I was just going to say, it's really good to have you here because here we are at the end of a year and people sort of, you know, uh, doing making their lists, checking them twice, uh, and mm-hmm. all of that sort of thing. But in terms of organizing the resolutions for next year, this yes. is when we start doing that. And in some cases, people are going, you know, I just, I'm tired of this. I'm not going to put up with this. This, come January, I'm going to go to the Strata Council and I'm just I'm going to get satisfaction, whether it's parking or uh, whatever the issue may be. Uh, and, and the concern, of course, is that where do I go if they, you know, kick sand in my face or whatever? Well, now we have this CRT, the, is it Civilian Resolution tri- Trial? Civil Resolution Tribunal. C- uh, tribunal, right. Mm-hmm. Civil Resolution Tribunal. I su- I'm, I'm assuming composed of lawyers. Yes, I mean they do have they have arbitrators who uh, effectively make decisions. But, right. Uh, and and one of the advantages uh, of this is it's it's designed for um, people who who don't have lawyers, so it's quite accessible. And as I mentioned before, it's mainly done online. Right. So you know you can avoid the the usual process of having to show up in Supreme Court months or perhaps even years after filing the action and perhaps being bumped over to the next year. Right. It's made for quick, uh, cheap resolutions of these matters. So you they can't delay you to death, kind of thing. Well, I wouldn't guarantee that, but uh, certainly much better than the Supreme Court. Interesting yeah. stuff. So what other areas of conflict are there based on your experience on both sides of the desk in the right. strata a dispute zone? What, what are the most frequent beefs? Well, the other one we tend to see is uh, our complaints over pets. And oh. of course, this this uh, you know, dovetails with the the nuisance issue, right? So often, you know, there you might have a, a dog who tends to be you know you wake up and start yipping from uh, midnight to two a.m. Right, and that's um, definitely a nuisance. That is a nuisance. So the ones I see, they tend to be nuisance claims. It's a, it's about I have this neighbor, um, and for whatever reason, they're uh, they're they're refusing to remedy their their issue, and maybe the strata council is not doing enough uh, to to investigate the issue on its own. And what about people trying to sneak pets into buildings that don't allow them in the first place? I can't imagine that lasting very long. I guess it depends on the pet. I mean, I, I've been uh, I've. 
I've been involved in one case in which uh, I think uh, one of the strata owners had a, had a weasel. So you know you have some unconventional, um, less uh, less to obvious paths to come in. Yeah. So. Uh, it's hard to say, but uh, it definitely is uh, is an issue we're seeing. I think uh, pets, marijuana, and um, complaints about Strata Council itself tend to be the top uh, three that I see coming in. Okay, and, and uh, again with the uh, the civilian uh, resolution tribunal, now there's a third road for people to take that isn't going to cost them an arm and a leg and will likely, not always, but likely give them more immediate return on their queries, their, their, uh, the complaints, whatever, than the, than the typical sort of court route, which can be long uh, and expensive. Absolutely. Interesting stuff. So as far as, as uh, t- uh, the other aspect of strata living that I wanted to get to, don't have a lot of time left, Scott, but here in Vancouver, the rules are different perhaps than in Langley with respect to uh, Airbnb uh, activities taking place in stratas. Uh, we've not, we're really trying to ferret that out in Vancouver, and there's all sorts of investigations and rat on your neighbors and all sorts of stuff going on, and of course, lots and lots of taxes. Uh, but if you're in a strata uh, that uh, you've decided that, I'm going to be away a lot. So why don't I just make a few extra bucks and let this place pay for itself and put it on Airbnb? Well, the strata isn't necessarily keen on it. So who's going to win that fight? Right. And again, it comes down to having well-written bylaws. I mean, so so certainly uh, we have owners who, as you say, who may be out a lot and want to turn a profit sure. with their unit. And, you know, fair it's enough. It's their unit. They but, paid a lot uh, for it. For your neighbors, um, we have, I think the viewpoint is often that uh, they want um, they want owners who have a long-term investment in the property right. and who care about it being maintained and who are interested in the general well-being of the, uh, the, strata, the strata property. And another story I'm, in the Vancouver Sun this morning, you know, party house that, uh, you know, it's an Airbnb thing and, the, yeah. and the, the rest of the tenants, the rest of the residents are supremely ticked off. Yes. I mean, when we hear of, you know, egregious amounts of damage, it tends to be because of short-term rentals or Airbnb. Now, under the standard bylaws, uh, again, of, of strata corporations, um, units are not allowed to be used for legal purposes. So if the municipality you're in says, um, uh-huh. okay. uh, you know, has not allowed for Airbnb or VRBO or their similar uses, sure. then it's, this, the use is automatically um, illegal. But um, if you are not in such a municipality, but as a strata council, you want to uh, avoid Airbnb mm-hmm. and all those issues. Then you got to create your laws. You need a good bylaw, right. that's clearly. And you need to make sure it's worded very carefully so that it, uh, it uh, prohibits Airbnb, VRBO, any similar short-term use or accommodation. And um, a, a, a nice trick I like to add to this one is because um, it's difficult to enforce this. Right? Mm-hmm. How can you know how a particular owner or occupant is uh, is a tenant or an owner or Airbnb is to prohibit um, marketing or listing oh. for Airbnb online? Because um, this means that's it's all easy, the proof. You it's need, much right? easier to enforce as a strata council. Right. Fresh out of time. I thank you for yours on a busy Christmas shopping weekend, Scott Payne. Uh, Mr. Payne can be found at cbmlawyers.com. That's the website. He works out of the Langley office. They have four around uh, Fraser Valley, particularly, and uh, all is contacted. The email, phone number, all of that stuff on the website cbmlawyers.com. Merry Christmas, Scott Payne. Merry Christmas. Nice to meet you, and uh, perhaps we should do this again sometime. That was fun. Thanks for. I'll tell you, open up the phone lines next time. All right.
And once again, our thanks to Scott Payne from CBM Lawyers for a very informative visit. We sure covered a lot of legal ground. Next week, we wrap up 2018 with advice for family business people and how to make that enterprise thrive with advice from Emily Griffiths Hamilton. And lawyer Kyla Lee will return with lots more on our newly reformed impaired driving laws. Lots of changes to understand. And of course, we'll open up our phone lines for your questions. Time now for Duly Noted. And this time around, our producer, Ben Duly looks at the sugar high myth. Thanks, Sterling. When kids start bouncing off the walls, sugar often gets the blame. Some parents will likely find it difficult to believe, but research suggests there's no such thing as a sugar high in children. Here's Dr. Mike Walrick, a professor at the University of Oklahoma. We couldn't demonstrate any, uh, any effect that the sugar was uh, changing the children's uh, behavior. Walrick and his team debunked the myth in the 1990s. For some reason, the myth seems to continue to exist among parents. Here's Leslie Langill, a registered dietitian at the Center for Family Nutrition in Calgary. I thought it to be true myself, um, but it's because I could see how excited my kids get when they do have, you know, sweets. However, this information shouldn't give kids permission to overindulge. Too much sugar can cause concerns for obesity and teeth decay. Kids under the age of two should avoid all added sugar, according to Langill. For kids older than two, added sugar should represent about 10% of caloric intake, which is roughly six teaspoons. I'm Ben Dooley, and that's Dooley Noted. Thanks, Ben. We're a bit early with this story, but it's a good reminder if you're making plans for New Year's Eve. TransLink will be helping revelers across Metro Vancouver enjoy their New Year's celebrations all the while starting 2019 safely. There'll be free public transits across the entire region between 5 o'clock New Year's Eve right through until 5 a.m. on January 1st. This means free rides on all buses, all three SkyTrain lines, and the C-Bus. And with over 100,000 of us expected to head downtown to the New Year's Eve fireworks show, there will be a big increase in service with more frequency and later operating hours. Uh, SkyTrain will be running uh, one hour later, as will C-Bus. And the SkyTrain dance party New Year's Eve version starts at 7.30 on New Year's Eve at Waterfront Station. That is our show for this week, produced by Ben Dooley with Tim French helping out. We appreciate the feedback. And we also want to take a second to wish you and yours a very Merry Christmas from all of us on this program. We'll see you next Saturday at 2 for another edition of Vancouver Consumer. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.